Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you have a Bible, open up to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. We want you to have the Word of God in your lap. 1 Timothy chapter 1, we started a new series last week that I'm calling House Rules. House Rules. The series title is derived from really the purpose of Paul writing this letter to his protege, his son in the faith, Timothy. Here's what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses uh, 14 and 15. He said to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay... Listen, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Paul, writing to this young pastor who is 40-ish, maybe 35, 40 years old in the ministry, Paul leaves him in Ephesus as he's probably after his first prison release from Rome. Uh, He leaves Timothy there. The church is a train wreck. And he says, oh, Timothy, this is a great place for me to leave you. Why? Because Paul had confidence in Timothy. Paul saw the hand of God upon Timothy's life. Unfortunately, Timothy didn't see it that way. (laughs) Timothy had this sort of timidness to himself, and some of you can relate to that. We talked about it last week, how Timothy was timid and fearful, and as he, he, he was having a hard time stepping into the calling that God has called him to. And, and Paul reminds him throughout First and Second Timothy, fan the flame that has been put in your heart, Timothy. We have laid hands on you. The Lord is at work in your life. He is doing amazing things. Timothy, you believe in the Lord and what he's doing. Step into your ministry. And Paul encourages Timothy as we walked through the passage last week to stay in Ephesus and to put some ground rules together relating to the church because the church was faced with, it was plagued with false teachers. Now, I didn't get a chance to really talk about Ephesus last week too much, but what you need to understand is Ephesus was the epicenter of Asia Minor. It was one of the most, it was the most important city uh, there in that region, and so that meant that it was a big trading post, which meant that there was, what, lots of people from all over the place. Travel through Ephesus. It was sort of this sectioned area where, where people could go into Macedonia. They could go into Asia. They could go to all these different places through Ephesus. And what uh, the Lord did is plant a church there. And he said, I'm going to do an incredible work in Ephesus. But you recall that Paul, when he was on his way to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 20, he called the elders of Ephesus after the church had been planted. He called them to Miletus on his way to Jerusalem where he knew that he was going to be arrested and then further transported into Rome. He didn't know he would do that, but he knew he was going to be bound. The Holy Spirit had already told him that. He called the elders of Ephesus together and he said, listen, wolves are going to come in and there are going to be men from within your body that are going to twist God's word. So Timothy, what I want you to do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to plant you there because that has actually happened. What Paul told the elders in Ephesus has happened now. And, and, and so the, the, the elders obviously didn't step into, uh, you know, they didn't either believe what Paul was saying or they didn't have the, 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 the wherewithal to stand up and say, no, that's not right. We're not going to accept that doctrine in our church. And unfortunately, it takes 
uh, uh, some strong elders in a church to guard the body of God, to, to be the sheepdogs of God, to make sure that the church doesn't turn into a train wreck. Because if you allow people to come in and just teach whatever they want to teach and do with it whatever, whatever they want to do, what's going to happen is you're going to have false doctrine in your church. And don't, don't misunderstand me. Don't even think for a second. I'm saying we have the real doctrine. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand that. We have stances on, sure, certain, you know, Bible passages that are somewhat uh, confrontational. And, you know, there's different takes on that. And in those things, we are, we are certainly not saying we're, we have a better stance than everybody else. But here's the thing is we have a biblical stance. And if you have a biblical stance, you stand on the word. You stand on the word until the Lord tells you something different. If the Lord wants to change my theology, I'm all for that. But listen, I'm not going to let a false teacher do that. I'm not going to let a false teacher, the elders of this church, Pastor, Pastor Mike, Pastor Brian, aren't going to let other people come in and change the theology of you uh, because that, that'll create all kinds of problems in this church. And of course, that's what happened in Ephesus and they are... They are dealing with all kinds of disarray. They're dealing with, they don't even have the basic structure of what a church should look like at this point when Timothy is planted there. Like they don't even know who should be in leadership. They're questioning like who should we lay hands on? We don't even understand uh, that. And so they've drifted that far. And of course that definitely is what the church looks like today. And it is because people have drifted away from the word of God. The word of God, listen, it's incredibly interesting how we can drift into these areas in, in, in life as a result of not, not holding fast to God's word. You know, we have a script, folks. You don't have to make anything up. That's the beauty of what we do here is we teach verse by verse through the Bible. So, you know what? I don't have to make something really crafty up next week because I know exactly where I'm going to be. You know exactly where we're going to be. You know, we're going to go line upon line precept upon precept, through the Word of God, book by book, until we cover the whole thing. And then guess what? We're going to start over, and we're going to do it again. Why? Because you can't know the Word of God enough. You can't. It is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. You want your life to be transformed. Uh, listen, uh, five godly principles in your life aren't going to do it. You need to know the Word of God from, end, from beginning to end, right? You need to understand that. So this is ultimately what Paul calls Timothy to last week. Sound doctrine. Timothy, you have to stand up for sound doctrine. Now, at the end of chapter 1, verse 11, Paul says something really interesting there because he's talking about the law and he's talking about how these shysters have come in and they, these legalists, these Judaizers have come in and they've taken the law and they've tried to adopt um, you know, the law plus Jesus kind of a thing, a, a Jesus plus gospel. They're not saying Jesus is bad. What they're saying is, is hey, uh, you know, let's do something Jesus plus something else. Let's do Jesus plus the dietary laws. Let's do Jesus plus, you know, um, these, these ceremonial washings. Let's do a Jesus plus the law. And of course, we know the gospel says it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the gospel, folks. There is no Jesus plus anything. If Jesus is insufficient, then it doesn't matter what we do. Jesus is sufficient, though. His blood was enough to pay for our sins. And so um, the Lord, as Paul is working through that, it's almost like he, he, a light bulb goes off in his brain. And he goes, at the very end of that passage, look what he says. He says, 
in a court, he talks about, you know, the kind of people, what the law was made for to show us the kind of people that we really are. And then he goes, and he gets to verse 11, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted. Now, that was a horrible segue into that, but listen, here's what, here's the deal. Paul, after, after explaining what the law was meant for, he transitions into the reality of what the gospel was meant for. And then he personalizes this. Did you catch that? And he says, that I've been entrusted with. And as we move into to verse 12, now Paul is exploding with just this idea of God has entrusted me with the gospel that changes people's lives. This is amazing. And listen to what he says here. Stand with me. Let's read uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul moving into this area where he is, he, is, he is now, you know, talking about his own personal life and how the gospel has impacted him. He goes, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. They, uh, the, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. But I am, I, I've received mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience and an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Lord, how can we not be excited about this life-transforming God-breathed word that we have before us. Will you speak into our lives today, Lord? Will you cut us in areas where we need to be cut? Will you heal, Lord, in areas where we need to be healed? Will you do your redemptive work in those who don't know you, and will you do that sanctifying work in those who do? God, we just come and we ask that you would have your way in us. Lord, we thank you for what you're gonna do in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul is reflecting back on this entrustment of the gospel and, and that God had counted him worthy to be not only saved, but then to in, be entrusted with the gospel. Paul said something, that he so believed in the gospel because the gospel so transformed his life that he said, that's a message I will never be ashamed of. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because I understand the gospel. I understand what the gospel can do. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For, it is in, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith that is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul fully understood the gospel, and therefore he said, Listen, I will not be ashamed of it. I will never ever cease telling people the script that I've been given, that I've been entrusted with, that Jesus Christ came to save souls. That Jesus Christ came to reconcile people who could not be reconciled to God any other way. 
Now, we all like to tell people good news. Right? I mean, isn't it like I want to be the first one to tell this person this thing because this is good news. If you're, if you're you know, a wife and you find out you're pregnant, you want to run to your, your, your spouse and you want a husband and you want to say, hey, guess what? Well, you should. Some of you may run to your mom first, but I'm not sure how that works. But hey, I'm not judging you. But you run there and you say, guess what? We have great news. We're pregnant. And the house explodes with a celebration. and It should. And, and you're excited. We love good news. We love to pass on good news. The gospel is good news. The gospel is incredibly good news. And Paul gets that, and I hope you get that this morning. He, 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 he gives us here in these set of passages, he gives us, uh, essentially he talks about the idea of why, the, why Jesus came to save. He talks about his identity and, and, and the reality of who he was prior to the gospel, but who he is in the gospel. Right? And, and, and he, he gives us six responses as a sinner is relating to the salvation, to the, a sinner relating to salvation. Somebody who has been saved, uh, it, the, my, the title of the message is A Sinner's Response to Salvation. And, and Paul is giving us six specific responses in these passages. The first one that we find here is Paul's gratitude um, for his salvation. Look at Paul's gratitude in verse 12. He says, I thank him. I thank the Lord after explaining the purpose of the law and, and, and that it was meant to condemn. Paul begins to think about the purpose of the gospel and what it was, that it was meant to save. And he says, man, I thank God. I am so grateful that God has, has done this in my life. Why? Because Paul, having understood who he was in the law, who he thought he was in the law, he thought he was this the, 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 the law-abiding, you know, God-fearing, uh, the, the most perfect, you know, kind of example of what the law would look like. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He was like the most elite religious person that you could ever meet. I, I'm not saying this. You know, he's, he was like the Pope in his, in his, in his, in his area, right? He was, he was like that kind of a person where people literally think this guy walks on water. Like he, he's not a sinner, but he is, right? Because we know the Bible says we're all sinners, but here's the reality. Paul said, man, I didn't think I was. I thought I was this guy who was destined for heaven. I was a shoe in for heaven for who I was. I was so perfect in the law. And yet the Lord showed him something incredibly different. And Paul says, I thank him. I thank God for showing me who I really am. I thank God for, for wrecking my life on that road to Damascus, for blinding me for the things that he put in my life for that three days. And I sat there in fear, wondering what in the world is going on with me. Some of you know what that feels like. Maybe you're in that situation today. But here's the thing is, the Lord spoke to Paul. And he said something very specific. Very specific. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm the Lord Jesus, the one whom you're persecuting. Paul was going after whom he believed to be just straight-up blasphemous people that were, were trying to propagate a false Messiah who the Jews would not accept as Messiah, Jesus Christ. And the Lord said, listen, Saul, you're not persecuting the church. You're persecuting me. I am the church. 
And it was a direct offense to Jesus himself. But what does Jesus do? Get offended? No. Jesus confronts Paul with the truth because that's what Jesus does. And he says, Paul, you need to be saved. You are not the man that you think you are. You want me to show you really who you are? And, and I don't know what happened in that three days, but what I know is Paul came to a come to Jesus meeting and he, when he left that place, he was transformed. He was changed. He had somehow accepted the gospel, but listen, for three years, for three years, the most trained person in the law had to get somewhat untrained in the things that he was trained in to get trained in grace. Right, so he went into the desert with Jesus for three years. And Jesus poured into him. Jesus spoke into his life. And the Lord, uh, you know, helped him to understand the gospel. And when he came back to Damascus, he was a different person. And you know what? The entire church was afraid of the guy. That's the kind of person he was. Whoa, whoa, we're not, I'm not going to that. Paul, in fact, when Barnabas, when he shows up in Jerusalem and they're like, they don't want to meet with them. Barnabas ushers him in and says, listen, this guy's life has changed. You need to hear his story. You want to talk about somebody who's thankful? This man was incredibly thankful that Jesus collided with him on that road to Damascus to show him who he really was. How do you look at your salvation today? Are you over it? Is it one of those things that it was an event that happened and it's no longer happening? So, you know, as we do, we move on. Is that the, the reality? I hope not. I hope that you're reminded this morning that your salvation is so special that you should wake up every moment of your lives and praise Him and thank Him because of what He's done in your life. Like, you, you should not be about your own agenda. You should be about His agenda because He saved your soul. Like if you really get down to the nitty-gritty in the gospel and you understand that you were destined for hell and that you had no ability to, to work your way back to God, no matter how great and how good you were, there's no way for you to do it. But God sent his son to die on a cross for you so that you could be saved. That's not an event, folks. That is a life-transforming continual thing that's happening every day of your life. And I hope that you're thankful this morning for, for the salvation that you've been given. If, you, if you're saved this morning and your heart is growing a little bit cold towards the, towards the Lord and the idea that he saved your soul, then remind yourself of what he saved you from. And that's what we're going to look at here in a moment. We considered the gratitude of the sinner here. It's the first response. Second, let's look at the reliance of the sinner who has been saved. Verse 12, continuing on, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul understood that if he was going to ever live out the Christian life correctly and be faithful with the entrustment of the gospel that he'd been given, he was going to have to rely on the strength of the Lord. That word strength there in the Greek, it's an interesting compound word, endunamo, and dunamo, N-E-N, that, that, that Greek word means to rest in. Dunamo comes from the root word dunamis. What does that word mean? You know what that means? Power. It's the same word that Jesus used in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he said you will receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit, right? The word here, endunamo, means to strengthen, 
to, to grow strong. It's the same word that Paul used in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, where he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And dunamo, through Christ who strengthens me. Why can Paul do all things here? Why can he do all things? Not because of who he is. It's not his strength, but it's the strength of Christ is why he can do all things. True or false, I can, do, I can only do all things if I am relying on Jesus to strengthen me. A couple of you said true. Wow. That's true or false. It's true. In fact, Jesus himself said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Nothing. Listen, we, we can do all kinds of things in our own power, but it's not the Lord. That's not the Lord. People get in pulpits and they give sermons, not in the power of the Holy Spirit, but in the power of themselves, in their strength. People lead worship in their strength. People serve in children's ministry in their strength. People go out and share the gospel in their own strength. And God uses it. But it's not the Lord. It's not the Lord. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know, we need the Holy Spirit to give us, uh, we need to be relying on the Holy Spirit to direct and lead and guide us and strengthen us to be who we are called to be. Why do you think Jesus told his disciples in Acts chapter 1 not to depart from Jerusalem? Acts 1, 4, and 5. Uh, he, he said, do not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And again in Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus made, it, made this point emphatic. Don't leave Jerusalem without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Don't do it. Why? Because you'll fail. Don't do it because you will fail. Now, it's interesting here that this, this, this sort of empowerment from the Holy Spirit is one specific relationship that only Christians can have with the Holy Spirit. It's called the, in the Greek, epi, the E-P-I, the epi experience, the upon experience. It's speaking about the Holy Spirit coming upon you. Remember when Jesus was, ba was baptized by John the Baptist and all of that, and, and um, when, when he went into the water, uh, John chapter 1, verses 34 and 33 and 34, um, when, actually, it's Matthew 3, 16 and 17. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. This was the epi experience of the Holy Spirit the coming on experience of the Holy Spirit. Why did, uh, you know, there, there's two reasons why that happened, by the way. Number one was because Jesus, uh, he limited himself to the same power you have, the Holy Spirit. He said, I will live this life in empowerment of the Holy Spirit all the days of my life. And he did it perfectly. What does that say about the power we have within us? That's amazing. That's amazing, the amazing power that we have within us. But not only that, but also it was a sign and in fact, John the Baptist said in John, John the, the apostle wrote in John 1, 33 and 34 about John the Baptist. He said, he said, 
uh, this is John the Baptist speaking, I myself did not know him, speaking of Jesus, but he, speaking of God, who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So John the baptizer, the Baptist, understood who Jesus was based on the fact that the Holy Spirit, the picture of the Holy Spirit, the dove, came and rested upon Jesus, and he said, that's a sign to me that that guy right there, he's going to baptize people with the Holy Spirit. That baptism of the Holy Spirit is the epi experience of the Holy Spirit. But the, but the believers also have one other relationship with the Holy Spirit that no one else can have. And that is the, the, the in experience. In the Greek, it's en. It's really talking about the within experience of the Holy Spirit. When you come to Christ, you're sealed with the Spirit of God. Like God comes inside and seals you and he fills you and you are now forever changed. Can you be the same person if the Holy Spirit comes inside of you? You're definitely somewhat different, right? I mean, something's happened. The Holy Spirit's come inside of you. That is the sealing experience of the Holy Spirit. And only believers can have those, those two experiences, the epi experience, the upon, and the end or the within experience of the Holy Spirit. But listen, everybody in the world has one experience with the Holy Spirit, and it's the with experience. The Holy Spirit is with everyone. He's at work in the world right now to draw sinners to Christ. That's his role when we're unredeemed. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts your heart. It's the Holy Spirit that draws you to the Father. John 6, Jesus said, no one can come to the Father unless he's drawn the idea is that you're hooked and you're pulled in. The Holy Spirit does that in your life. And he convicts you. And you come to that place. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you. That's the one experience, and he will be in you. So you have those two experiences there, the, the overall broad call of the Holy Spirit upon everyone's life, and then you have the within experience of somebody who comes to Christ. Do you know, let me just see if you, if you can catch this. It's such an incredible thing that when you are saved, there is a marvelous, marvelous thing that happens, and Jesus illustrated it for us. In John chapter 20, verse 22, after he was resurrected, this couldn't have happened before. It could not have happened until Jesus had risen again from the dead, claiming victory over sin and death, okay? So all the Old Testament people who ever had the Spirit, if you'll look at the language, it says that the Spirit came upon them. They weren't sealed with the Spirit. They weren't filled with the Spirit. He came upon them and empowered them. But check this out. This is the first time in Scripture since Adam himself had lived that it says that God whoo, breathed on him and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Do you know that's the same breath that Adam you know, got from God when he blew into it in the nostril of his, of his, uh, you know, his being? He, the Lord blew life into him and that's the point. Jesus said in John chapter 20, verse 22, and when he, Jesus, had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. That is so awesome. That is so awesome. You became 
like Adam in that moment, filled with the Holy Spirit, God blew his breath in you. And you went from being dead to alive. That is amazing. That is amazing, man. So, 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 so back to um, our passage here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Paul is talking about this strength, and the strength comes from the Holy Spirit. We need this empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Do you guys know what the book of Acts is? You know what the book of Acts is, really? It's, it, it, many people misunderstand it. It's not the, the Acts of the Apostles. Do you know that? It's actually the acts of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is not acts of people. It's acts of the Holy Spirit inside of people going out and who have been deployed to go into the world. Here's the awesome thing about the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 29. Acts chapter 20, 28 closes. The book is on. But that story continues to be told today. We are in the Acts 29 chapter, folks, and it's the acts of the Holy Spirit working through you and I as we rely on him to do that work. You can't do anything apart from Christ, but you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. We've considered the gratitude of the sinner who's been saved and the reliance of the sinner who's been saved. Now let's consider the service of the sinner who's been saved in the rest of verse 12. I thank him who has been, who's given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now Paul here, when he talks about this judgment, you know, you think about this idea of this judicial act of, of you know, God standing, bef- you know, he, the hammer comes down on the gavel on the, the, the desk and, you know, you've been judged. That's not what it means at all. And in fact, that's really kind of an unfortunate translation here. Maybe you have the New King James, the King James Version. It translates that word differently. It says counted. Uh, the New, New American Standard translates it. He counted them worthy. He didn't judge them worthy. He counted them. That word also means to lead or to go before, to go first, to lead the way. Isn't that awesome? Because what Paul is saying, he's, taught, he's connecting that word with faithfulness. But what he's saying is, is that uh, Christ counted me faithful. Really, the idea is that Christ led the way for my faithfulness. He, he empowered me to be faithful in the ministry that I've been given. That's why I've been entrusted because God knew who he was going to make me, and the Lord empowered me to do the work that I'm called to. He counted me faithful. Do you know that God counted you faithful? When the gospel came into your heart and you received Christ, he counted you faithful. He entrusted you with the same entrustment that Paul was given, and, and notice what it's for, appointment. Notice that it's for appointment of service. We, we talk about the idea of Jesus being the servant of all, right? And, and remember when, uh, when his, his disciples were, they were having that conversation, and Jesus must have been up the road a little bit or something, but they're having this conversation, they're like, Peter, you're, you're, you're pretty great. You're pretty great, man. But John, you are so loving. I mean, and these guys are talking about how great they are. And here we have Jesus up the way a little bit. And, and for some reason, it's just an odd situation there. These guys are talking about how great they are, yet that's the direct opposite of the message that Jesus had given them. And, and so Jesus kind of falls back into the crowd of these disciples, and he goes, what are you guys talking about? Oh, nothing. Are you guys talking about how great you are again? 
for real, are you really talking about how great? Okay, let, let me go over this one more time for you, okay? Mark chapter 10, verse 44. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave. That word is translated correctly. A slave of all. That's so offensive. That's biblical. We're slaves of Christ. He bought and paid for you. You're his slave. But he treats you like a servant. He owns you. But he allows you to make choices in your life and to, to, to follow him. What an incredible master we have that he would do that. He won't force you as many slaves would be forced to do what they, what they were purchased to do. He won't force you to do it, but he appointed you to service. He said, I bought and paid you. Now you're my slave. He goes, verse 45, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He, Paul is saying, I've been appointed to service. Anybody who's ever been saved has been appointed to service. You have a job. You have the job to do in, in Christ. How do you know if you're doing well in this area of servanthood? How do you know if you're doing well? Can I, can I give you just one litmus test? Okay, listen to this. You know that you're a servant when you're treated like one. You know you're a servant when you're treated like one. That's when you know you really got it. When people start to treat you like a servant, they, 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 they start to treat you like you're, 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 you're not the greatest. You got the point. That's exactly the point. And Jesus says when you really get it, then you're going to be treated like that. That's how I was treated. But guess what? I'm the greatest of all, but I came to serve. And so here's what happens to many, many Christians. They get treated like servants, so they stop serving. So that appointment that came from God on high into your life no longer matters because what's happened is I've been offended and I'm not going to serve anymore because these people don't deserve it. Oh? Well, here's the truth. They don't. But we serve a God of grace. We, 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 we get what we don't deserve. And, and, and listen, if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I've been, I've been hurt by the church, you know, and, and, and the idea of, you know, the church is, 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 you know, I just don't want to have anything to do with the church because they've offended me so bad. I'm not going to serve the Lord. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. Listen, you're in full rebellion to Jesus himself because last time I checked, the Bible doesn't say I'm supposed to follow the church. I'm supposed to let people in the church dictate what I do. Whether I come together in the gathering of God's people like Hebrews 10 talks about and I come together and I, I give something in that exchange. I don't just come to get something, but I give something in that exchange. My service to the Lord. And I give in these relationships over and over and over again, even though people don't deserve it. And you know, there's this, this, this movement in the church. I don't understand it. Because people say, 
oh, I've just been hurt by the church. I don't want anything to do with the church. Listen, if that's your attitude, you do not understand the gospel at all. You don't understand. It's not about you. It's not about, you know, your rights and, and your offense and all of these things. If it was really about that, Jesus probably wouldn't have hung on the cross. I don't know. He probably would have said, wait a second, you're, you're entirely offending me, and I'm going to uh, bring some angels down from heaven. But he didn't do that. He laid the example down. And in fact, he told his disciples in that conversation about how great they are. I came to give my life a ransom for many. Is your life being lived out in such a way that if the Lord called upon you to lay it down, you would do it? Listen, that, you don't stumble into that kind of a relationship with God. Right? That's a process. That's a process. And many of us would say, well, yeah, yeah, I would do it. Listen, if you're not, we're all in process, but if you're not allowing that process to shape and, and change you, you will not do that in that moment. I'm not God, and I can't say that he wouldn't infuse you with a, a supernatural ability of faith in that moment because I believe he gives us the faith to do what we need to do in the moment. But here's what I'm telling you is that you're in process right now, and God is trying to shape and change you and form you into something for something later, right? You're, you're, you're going through things right now that are going to translate into something later, and, and God, is, God is strengthening you and preparing you for these things. The biggest question here this morning is, what are you doing with the appointment that God has given you, you know, at salvation when he said, man, you're saved, you were sealed, now, now you're my servant. What are you doing with it? I don't care how old you are, I don't care how long you've walked with Jesus, it does not matter. Here's the reality, is you are called to serve. Now, how you serve, that's up to you. You know, I, man, I could use this passage to totally manipulate everybody in this room right now, and I could say, if you're not serving in this church right now, you are absolutely outside of the will of God. That's not what I'm saying, because that's not true. God has appointed you to service, but it's not for me to figure out what that is for you. That can be all kinds of different things. You know, certainly we have lots of stuff going on in this church that we need servants for, but guess what? If we don't have servants, we won't do it. You know, we, we would love to do a whole bunch of things, but if we don't have servants, we won't do it. That's okay. But here's the reality is, you have something to do. What has God gifted you for? Could you imagine if, if, if God gifted somebody in a very specific way and they stepped into that calling, what he could do with maybe this, this body, Maybe, maybe there's some specific gift that you have that, that God is waiting for you to pull the trigger on and step into so that he can minister to, to, to other people in this body. Maybe it's so that he can minister to kids in the children's ministry area because you know what? We don't want just anybody in the children's ministry area. The last thing I want is kids going from Calvary Chapel going, dude, that children's ministry place sucks. Those people don't care about people. They don't care about, listen, when I was a kid, I didn't grow up in the church or anything, but I went to church every once in a while, and I remember going into children's ministry with people who didn't belong in there, who pulled your hair, and all that kind of stuff. That's not the kind of people that I want in our children's ministry. If you're not called to it, don't serve there, please. Because we want kids to walk away with the love of Christ in their heart. We want them to walk away with something that says, man, I love, there's something unique and special about that place. I love that place because Jesus is there. That's the kind of people we want. And so if we have a, 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 an entire, uh, you know, a, a 
church full of people that are stepping into their service and they're being Jesus to one another. What an incredible environment, right? And listen, don't, I'm not saying that's not happening. It is happening. But I'll tell you this. There's an incredible amount of service that goes on in this body by a very few amount of people. I will tell you that. And I would encourage you to pray like I did last week. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Learn that verse. Memorize that verse. You are Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he created beforehand that you should walk in. So the reality is, is I'm not here to tell you what you're supposed to do. You know, if you have no idea what you're supposed to do and you're like, hey, I, then you know what? Make an appointment with myself or Pastor Mike or Pastor Brian. And we, can, we can, you know, walk through the word with you, but we're not going to tell you what to do because that's the Holy Spirit's job. Paul says, man, I've been saved to serve and I am thankful that I get to serve. Here, here's what happens to most people is that they, they, they pour themselves out for things that are temporary, right? I.e. their job and whatever the case might be. Everybody has to make a living. I'm not saying that. But they pour themselves into that and they have no either time or energy to serve the Lord. That's what happens to people. Isn't that sad? Could you imagine if the apostles said, man, I got to fish. <laughs> I got to go fishing. So the gospel might get out very slowly, but I, I'll do that, but I'm going I'm to fish. You know, could you imagine if they didn't step into their calling? What would happen? Here's what I'll tell you Jesus said relating specifically to that. And you can memorize this verse as well. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things. What's he, what is the all things? Go back and read it. It's speaking about material things. It's talking about your, the things you're going to wear, the things you're going to eat, all of those things. All these things, the things that you need, will be added to you. When you put his kingdom first, when you serve God first, and by the way, there's no retirement from this appointment. I'm going to serve Jesus till I breathe my last breath, and I hope you are too, and, and, and whatever that looks like. You know, so, so step into that, man. A, a sinner's response to salvation ought to be gratitude, reliance, service, and fourthly, transformation. Look at verse 13. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Notice Paul says this word, formerly. I was formerly a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent of Jesus Christ. But because of God's mercy, again, what is mercy? Not getting what you deserve. Because of God's mercy, um, the, the Lord transformed Paul's life. Paul was beautifully wrecked, man, on the road to Damascus. And he was transformed. And he goes on here and he says, look, I, I was acting in ignorance and unbelief. Here's the thing about Paul is he believed 100%. He was full on into what he was doing, believing that he was doing it for the Lord. You know, there was no question about who he was doing it for. He believed that he was doing it for the Lord. There, there are many, many religious people that are like that, you know? Many, many Jehovah Witnesses that are just like that, that, that fully believe they're ignorantly walking in unbelief, but they are fully giving themselves over 
to serve the God that they believe in. The Muslims are the same way. They're, willing to, they're literally willing to sacrifice their life in ignorant unbelief. The Apostle Paul was in such ignorant unbelief that he was willing to give his own life up because of what he believed in. You know, and, and uh, I remember one time when I was in India and I was traveling, and I saw this kind of an ignorant unbelief being, uh, you know, displayed before me, and I was working with some people that were Hindu, and uh, I, I owned a dietary supplement company, and we, we used to import um, herbs and all kinds of stuff like that, and so I was over there buying some stuff, and I was talking to these guys, and of course, I'm sharing the gospel with these people, but you know, it was interesting because I don't know if you know about he, any of the Hindu religion, but they worship everything. Like, there's not a single thing that you can't worship. Oh, this pencil, I worship this pencil, I worship this computer. Literally, they decorate their offices and they worship these things because these things make them money. And they dedicate their lives to these things, to worshiping these things. And I remember the Lord distinctly saying to me, man, Tim, these guys are walking in ignorant unbelief, but they're full on. What is your excuse? And I was like, Lord, I'm sorry. And do you know there was a boldness that came out of that conversation with the Lord in that moment that I said, man, I have the truth. What am I doing holding back the truth? These people are walking in ignorant unbelief. It doesn't mean that when the truth goes forth, they're going to believe. Don't misunderstand. They are ignorant in the sense that they don't understand what they're following, but they're also unbelieving. So the Lord is the one that does that work, but we're just faithful to be bold and bring the gospel to people. And man, I remember just starting to share the gospel with these people and, and starting to really challenge, well, tell me a little bit about, and what I ended up finding out is like these, these guys that I was dealing with, they were just, they, they just followed this because that's what they did. They had no idea why they believed it. And I'm pretty sure by the time we were done, they felt incredibly stupid about what they were doing because they could not explain it at all. And that's what happens to people, folks. You just start blindly following. And that's what people call Christians blind sheep, right? Because most Christians don't know what they believe. And they can't defend their faith. And they're just like, yeah, I just knew that I just needed to do this. And they never grew beyond that point. Listen, grow. I want to encourage you to grow, man. Be transformed. Paul, Paul said in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, which is through the word of God. You renew your mind. You change your actions. The Lord told Paul was like, man, I was transformed, I was changed. If Once you came, uh, once the Holy Spirit came into him, he was transformed and changed. Not all, he wasn't walking in ignorant unbelief anymore. He was walking, listen, he was filled with love. Love. Here's a guy that was, uh, you know, literally became the exact opposite of who he was. He was once a blasphemer, which is a defamer of God. Now he became a person who desired to make Jesus famous. And he was going to take that message into the world. He went from being a persecutor of the faith to being persecuted for his faith because he believed in Jesus. He went from being insolent and arrogant to being gentle and humble. 
That's what happens when the gospel comes into people's lives. They're transformed. They're changed. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You've been born again this morning. You're not the same. You were formerly something. You were formerly somebody else, and now you are presently a different person because of what Jesus has done for you. I love Romans chapter 6, verse 4. It explains this process very well. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You were dead and you were made alive. Now walk in that newness of life. Paul goes on to talk about the realization of the sinner who's been saved. Verse 15, the, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might be displayed, display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. We come to what is called five, one of five statements in the pastoral epistles, which is 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and the book of Titus. And the statement, it goes like this. This is a trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. The idea is that these statements, these five specific statements, we're going to go through the one today, but the five that we'll find in the pastoral epistles were circulating in the church already before this was written. So what Paul is saying is, is let's be reminded about the trustworthy saying. What's the trustworthy saying? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This message was already circulating in the churches and Paul is bringing it to the foremost here saying, let's be reminded about the trustworthy and, and, and statement and the statement deserving of all acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners. That was his purpose. To save sinners, what's a sinner? Somebody who misses the mark, literally. Doesn't live up to the standard. That's a sinner. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What's the reality of being a sinner? What does the Bible say? What is the wages of sin? Romans chapter 6, verse 23, death. This is basic stuff, but listen, it's so important. We have to come to the realization of what, what's, what's happened to us, that when we're saved, uh, you know, that we, we, there was wages that, that were compounding on our behalf and the Lord purchased us out of those things. And the Bible tells us that Jesus came to save us, to redeem us, to deliver us. That was his purpose. You miss the entire point of the gospel if you think that Jesus came to make good people better. You miss the entire point. That is not, Jesus came to save sinners, not good people. He came to save people who couldn't save themselves. Jesus also didn't come to just, just provide some moral example or some godly principles for us to operate by. That's not why he came, although he did that. But that wasn't his purpose. His purpose, hyper-focused, was to save sinners, to go to the cross. That's why he came. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, when he was being asked by religious leaders about you know, his, his practices, the way he lived his life. He said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call, uh, not to call the righteous, but sinners. He came to save sinners. Listen, if you're ever gonna be appreciative of your salvation, step into the appointing and the service that the Lord's ever given you, you have to understand 
that you were a sinner that was saved by Jesus Christ. If you don't ever come to that realization, then you can never fully appreciate the gospel. I don't think you can really fully receive the gospel. Because in order to receive the gospel, you have to understand that you need a Savior. You know, I like to say to people, people need to understand what they're being saved from. Right? We were destined, we were going one way, but God turned us around and now we're going the direct opposite way. That's called repentance. When we repent and we receive Christ, you know, as, as our Savior, we, we, we accept the sacrifice that He's made on our behalf for our personal sin, believing that God, you know, that He died and He rose again from the dead. The Bible says that we're saved. You have to come to that realization that you're a sinner. Notice Paul says, I am of whom I am the chief. Do you notice that the tense of that is present tense? Now, some of you are incredibly offended by that because a lot of people, uh, you know, in the church go, oh, I'm not a sinner, I'm a saint. I'm a saint. True, that is true. Actually, if we really want to be more technical, you're a saint trapped in a sinner's body, right? That's really, positionally, you're a saint. Before God, you're a saint. You've been redeemed. You're, the blood of Christ is, uh, you know, covered you, washed you. But you're trapped in a sinner's body. And Paul said uh, in Romans chapter 7, before he got to Romans chapter 8, he, he talked about the, 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 the person who's trapped in the sinner's body, who says, the things that I want to do, I'm not doing. The things that I aren't doing, I, I, I don't want to be doing. And he said this, who shall deliver me from this body of death? You know the body of death speaking about? Back in that day when a, someone was a criminal, they would tie a dead body to a live person's body and allow the decomposition of that body to just soak into your skin so that you would be um, corrupted from the outside in. That's the body of death that Paul is talking about. And he says, he says, who shall deliver me from this body of death? There's two people here. There's a person that is alive and there's a person that's dead. But you know what he said? Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the one that separates us from the body of death. Positionally, yes, we're saints, but Paul says, I am the sinner, I am the chief of all sinners. Now, I don't think he's saying that because he persecuted the church and he killed people. I believe he's saying that right here because the closer he walked with Jesus, the more he realized how much he needs to change. And I don't care if you walk with Jesus for 50 years and you know what, you're not who you used to be, but you're not who you're supposed to be. Not yet. There's a time coming, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, where, where Paul says in the twinkling of an eye, you are going to be changed. That body of death will be dropped off of you and you will be set free. You want to talk about energy in that moment when the Lord separates your flesh from your spirit and he embodies you with a perfect body. Man, that's going to be an amazing moment. And Jesus Christ gave, that's the, you know, he's the reason we have that hope. Paul said, I'm the worst of all sinners. I don't know who you think you are this morning. You know, well, I'm pretty good. Listen, be honest. Let the gospel, you know, don't, don't measure yourself against everybody else. That's not the standard. That's why we say we're good is because we're looking at everybody else on the horizontal. I'm not as bad as that person. But when you get your, when you use this as the mirror and you go, this is the standard, 
and you go, man, I got some work to do. The Lord, you got some work to do in my life, but, but listen, be grateful for you, for you aren't who you used to be, but you are still in need. I, I, I developed this, this concept of a shirt. I want to show you. It says, I suck. And here's the thing is, the reality is, I am a sinner under construction. I saint under construction. So, you know, some of you get that. It's not a real shirt. Don't worry. You won't see me wearing it next week. But Paul said, I'm the chief of all sinners. He came to, that, he came to the proper realization, which led him, listen, to the praise of the sinner who's been saved. Last verse, verse, 20, verse 17. To the king of the ages, mortal, invisible, the only God, to be honored in glory forever and ever. Amen. This is what theologians call a doxology. Paul's concept of everything that he just worked through produces a spontaneous prayer, a praise, prayer of praise. And he goes, God, thank you so much for what you've done in my life. Listen, when you get, get alone with yourself before the Lord and you think about what he's done, it will produce praise in your heart. If you're honest, you're saying, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing what you've done. You didn't owe me a thing, but yet you came and you, 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 you helped me understand what I needed, that I was a sinner in need of a savior and you, you, you helped me to come to that realization and only because of you am I in this place now where I will be with you forever. Thank you, God. And he praises the Lord. Somebody uh, who truly understands what's happened on the cross and by grace through faith in him alone. Somebody understands that truly. And it's a, it's a lifelong process of getting to the point, but, but we, it produces praise. It produces praise. In these verses, we have the personal testimony of the Apostle Paul in 146 words in the ESV version. 146 words. I, I want to challenge you this morning to go home this afternoon and I want you to think about your testimony and in 150 words, write down what God has done for you. Whoa, that's, that's too much. Not too much for the Holy Spirit. You go before the Lord and say, Lord, help me to, th to really think about, to really be concise about what you've done in my life. Like how you've transformed and changed me. And then write that down. And you know what? I want you to even go a step further. Send it to somebody. Send it to somebody. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. God has appointed all of us to be his voice box in this world today. There are people that, that don't have hope. And maybe 150 words would totally transform their life. I want to encourage you to just, just take a moment this afternoon or tomorrow or sometime this next week and, and think about what Jesus has done and write something short, concise, but write something about how God has transformed your life. You were dead and you were alive. You have something to write about, I'm pretty sure. If you've come to Christ this morning, you have a powerful testimony. I don't care if you were raised in the church or you were someone who was so you know, far into the world and how God brought you back. They're both equally powerful. 
Listen, don't, don't be sad because you didn't live the life of a, you know, drug addict, you know, pimp, whatever you want to, you know, just some person that's totally in the flesh, right? And you're like, man, I wish I had a testimony like that guy, you know, killed three people and whatever. Your, your testimony is powerful. Your testimony is powerful because you were dead, no matter who you were, and you became alive. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word and just for your goodness in our lives. And Lord, thank you for salvation, Lord. Thank you for what you've done, Lord. And, and we ask you this morning, Father, to remind us, as Paul was reminded, speaking to Timothy about being sound in doctrine, Lord, how you took him out of the religious train wreck that he was in and you brought him to, into a relationship that was filled with grace. And we ask this morning, Lord, that you would remind us and that you would use that, that reminder to produce in us the responses that we found in your word this morning. God, we want to be transformed and changed and we want to be useful Lord, in your kingdom, for your kingdom. And so we ask you now, Lord, fill us with your spirit. Empower us, Lord, to live and to do the things that you're calling us to do. For some here this morning, God, they're saying, hey, I've been a believer all my life, and, or not all my life, but I came to a place of be believing, and now, you know, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. God, will you bring to their heart and their mind this morning the understanding of the appointment to service that you've given them. It's a personal thing that you've done in their life. Will you bring clarity, Lord? And if there's still questions, will you bring boldness to say, hey, I want to seek the Lord in this specific area, and I want to know, Lord, what, what did you create me for? For others, Lord, in this place today, maybe they don't have a real relationship with you. Maybe this morning they're saying, wait, I didn't know I was a sinner. I thought I was born a Christian. Lord, will you help them to, to come to the realization this morning that they need a Savior? Going to church just didn't save anybody. There was a person that came and lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, and rose a victorious resurrection for us personally. And we need to come to him. He's the only way for us to be redeemed. So if, if there's anyone here this morning, anybody online listening to this later, you reach out to the Lord this morning. You say, God, I know that I am a sinner. I have missed the mark. I have not lived according to your standard. And this morning, I lay my life down before you. I turn away from that lifestyle and I turn to you. I want to live the life that you have for me. I believe that Jesus died and he rose again from the dead for me and I receive him as my personal savior and my lord thank you for making me a christian this morning lord cleansing me from my sin making me who was once dead alive in christ lord we love you we thank you empower your people as we continue to close in a song now lord in jesus name amen <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.